0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundredfold. And he said, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear."
1: Well good morning. Glad you're with us again, and uh, you're here today. The, the passage we're looking at is Mark chapter four verses one through nine. I know one through 20 is in your bulletin, so not to uh, Kind of alter you too much, but we're looking at 1 through 9. 10 to 20 actually is uh, important to verses 1 through 9, and I'll refer to it, but uh, thank you for Eric reading Mark 4 1 to 9. We gather every Sunday for a couple of reasons. I thought I'd just kind of remind us why we're here. Uh, Timothy's been reminding us all morning, but we gather for, for two reasons at least. One, to be together. And then second, to encounter God, to remember that we're not meant to live this life alone, but rather in community. And then as a community, we pray that we can be honest about where we are. And if you're here this morning and you're asking questions about God or skeptical about God, struggling, doubting, if you're sure about Jesus or unsure about Jesus, discouraged or encouraged, if you're bored or if you're excited, if you're sad or happy, We're glad you're here, and we want to be a community that comes honestly before God and then ask Him to make Himself known to us. And so every Sunday we gather together to encounter God, and we expect that God is doing something in us, He's at work in us, and then He will send us out of here to work through us. And so I'm going to pray for us before we get into Mark chapter 4 that God would be at work even now uh, as we listen to His Word. Let's pray. God, uh, I pray that as Jesus told this parable thousands of years ago, to, that there would be those who hear and listen and have ears to hear and others, maybe it's hard of hearing. Maybe there's, there's an echo and we can hear a little, but we're straining to hear. And, and so God, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would speak to us as we sing. You would speak to us, O oh Lord, and change us. Help us to to know you more this morning. Would you remove me, the preacher, and Jesus, would you be clearly seen? Would you uh, give us ears to hear? Would you plant your word deep in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to confess that one of the more annoying words for me uh, is the word, huh? Huh? (laughs) Not, huh? But, but, huh? There's a difference huh? It's is like asking a question with real interest, right? Like someone's talking, you're like, huh? Like you kind of lean in, you want to know more. Huh? It, it's making a statement. that like, I'm not really even listening to you anyway, right? Uh, and Rachel, my wife, would probably tell you that too often I respond with, huh? <laughs> around our house. Uh, and I think maybe a reason is that it, this word brings memory for me of, of my dad, who I love. I love my father. Uh, but he is known in the Mason house for often saying, huh? It's become a joke for us, really. Like when we're all together during holidays, maybe my family or my brother's family, maybe we'd be in the living room and my dad's in the kitchen and we're talking and my dad will just pipe in, huh? And we're like, what? Like we weren't even talking to you? Uh, and if we do say something to him, sometimes he finishes this before we can finish the sentence. He's saying "huh" <laughs> to show that he's not really even listening to us. And so we laugh with my dad. Uh, and the thing is, my dad can hear. He just hears what he wants to hear, right? Uh, I mean, there are, for instance, there are times when I've been talking to my mom in in the kitchen, and my dad is reading the paper in the living room, and my mom and I are talking in a very normal voice, and and my dad will chime in from a distance about whatever we were just talking about. Like, he was listening very clearly, heard very clearly what we were saying. All of a sudden, my dad has, like, superpowers to hear from far distances, right? He can hear when he wants to hear, and I can hear when I want to hear uh, when I'm at my house, but the the reality is that sometimes we just have selective hearing, ears to hear when we want to hear. Now, on a more serious note, uh, there's a good friend of mine here in Durham who who owns a hearing aid business, and and he got into this business because he himself could not hear as a little child, And, and he finally got fit for a hearing aid, and he would tell you that his world opened up when he finally could hear, when he could hear birds and voices and music, that his life changed, and his passion now is to help people who cannot hear to hear for the first time to test them and fit them for a hearing aid. And he will tell you that there is nothing quite like seeing a child or an elderly person who could not hear all of a sudden hear voices and hear music, and their world opens up. There is a YouTube compilation that you should check out. Uh, I think if you just Googled deaf people hearing for the first time, it's very moving. The tears, the smiles, the amazement of people when they can finally hear. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a story, and there's a large crowd gathered around, and Jesus screams, Listen, hear. Jesus, the greatest preacher ever, preaching the greatest message ever, this message of complete pardon of sin, of forgiveness of sin through Christ unending and eternal love the justice of god being poured out the righteousness of god all as an act of grace through jesus and jesus says some will have ears to hear the voice of jesus the music of this gospel story others might have selective hearing and might miss the voice of jesus One thing about a parable is that it's meant to force the listener, the hearer, to insert themselves into the story and ask, where am I? Where am I in this story? How do I fit in? And so I have to ask you this morning, do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you hear the music of this gospel story? And what is your response? There's three things about this parable that we're going to look at. Very simple. We're going to look at seed, obstacles, and fruit. Seed, obstacles, and fruit. First thing, a seed. A seed has immense power, right? The seed here in this parable is being scattered, and the seed is the story of Jesus, and the soil is the response to Jesus. And later, just after uh, the passage that Eric read in Mark 4, verse 11, Jesus explains, and he says, this parable is about The secret of the kingdom of God. That This parable of the farmer sowing seed is is about and and describing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God does not come with much fanfare. Jesus comes on stage in the gospels and he does not rally tons of people around him. He doesn't show off his deity. He he doesn't play to the crowd to attract large numbers of people. Jesus isn't being hip and cool. Jesus, to describe the kingdom of God, uses the image of a farmer sowing seed. And a seed is small. But a small seed has immense power. A few years ago, Rachel and I made some raised garden beds in our backyard. and All we needed to do was plant a seed in the bed, and months later, tomatoes. Cucumbers, squash started sprouting to life. A small seed has the power to bring life. Now, as cool as I think my iPhone 7 is that I I just got, I could plant it in the ground, and it's not going to produce anything. And as helpful as money is, I plant a $100 bill in the ground, and it's not going to grow more $100 bills. But a seed, a small seed, will bring forth life. And Jesus is saying God's Word, the story of Jesus, has the power unto life. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God spoke His Word and He created a good world. God's Word has creative power. John chapter 1, Jesus, the Word became flesh. And the power that created in the beginning is now the power that recreates that which is broken. The good news, the Word of God has immense power, and is ready to be unleashed into our lives to spring forth life. There's a cemetery in Italy that, that people from kind of all over will travel around to see because in this cemetery, one, one of the grave sites, there was a massive marble slab laid for the gravesite. So massive and so thick that no person can move it. Hardly any machinery could dig it up. There are tours now taken to kind of see what's transpired at this gravesite. And what transpired is that a little seed got into a small crack within this massive marble slab and an oak tree grew. And the marble shattered around the oak tree. A little seed had the power to shatter this massive marble slab. I know this morning there is much hurt and pain in all of our lives in differing ways. There are addictions that we're struggling with. There are disappointments and discouragements, and we can harden our hearts so that we're not affected. We can slap marble stone over our hearts to protect ourselves from the pain. But let me tell you that the gospel story of Jesus, the Word of God, has the power to shatter whatever slab you've placed over your heart and to spring forth life from what feels like death for you. Jesus and God's Word has the power to set you free from whatever torments you, whatever haunts you, whatever ensnares you, and He will bring life. It's a seed. second thing I want us to look at is obstacles. Obstacles to the seed. And I'm always amazed... uh, Different responses I get when I meet a person. I tell them I'm a pastor, Uh, and I'm uh, always a little nervous when I'm playing golf. I love to play golf. When I when I get paired with a new person on the golf course, then I start thinking, when are they going to ask me what I do, (laughs) and is it going to get awkward? What's what's the response going to be like? And I've had many responses to people when I finally tell them I'm a pastor. Sometimes I get, "That's great, you're a pastor. I'm a Christian." And we start talking about Jesus and the gospel, or or sometimes people are like that's great, you know, I, that's a good thing. And tell me more about it. Sometimes I get the why would you do that? <laughs> kind of a confused like why would you be a pastor? Sometimes I get the oh crap, <laughs> get <laughs> me out! Can I get paired with somebody different? I don't want to be. I don't want to play eighteen holes with the pastor, right? Get me out of here. There are in the first three three chapters of Mark's gospel. Many responses to Jesus. There's enthusiasm from the 12 to follow Jesus. There's the plot of the Pharisees to destroy Jesus. The scribes who shout blasphemy about Jesus. There's puzzlement for those who find Jesus' practices out of accord with existing religious practice. And then there's this superficial enthusiasm of, of the crowd as Jesus performs healing. Many different responses to Jesus. And there are many different responses as The responses to Jesus today, and even now as I preach God's word, I know within the hearts and lives of you who are here, various responses. Various responses to God's word. This parable is pretty straightforward. There's a seed, it has the power to bring life, but there are obstacles that will affect the seed being planted deep within. So let's look at some of the obstacles here. The first is Satan. Some see the sun on the path, and the birds come, and, the, and they devour it. Verse 15, Jesus explains what this is. He says, this is a person who hears the gospel story, and then the enemy of God, Satan, immediately comes and destroys it. Thanksgiving weekend, my alma mater, Auburn University, will play a football game against the University of Alabama, Timothy's alma mater. It's been dubbed the Iron Bowl, and there's nothing better than being at this game, which I think may be going to this year and watching these two teams battle it out two teams with long history two teams auburn the loveliest village on the plains right or you could call it the kingdom of light (laughs) battling the university of alabama in tuscaloosa or you could call that the kingdom of darkness (laughs) two opposing forces battling it out and it's going to be awesome game I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little afraid we might lose, but let me tell you about a kingdom of light that will not lose. In Genesis 1, God has let us in on the reality that there is a great cosmic battle. There's a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, that Jesus and his church has a real enemy. The father of many lies, the prince of darkness, has a purpose to distract us from understanding and seeing the true Jesus, from hearing the music of this gospel. See, Our battle is against the forces and principalities that are not of this world. We really have an enemy that wants nothing more than to discredit Jesus, have us doubt Jesus, deny Jesus, turn away from Jesus. That's the first obstacle that we see. The second obstacle that we have in this parable is, is the obstacle that I'll call breadth without depth. Breath without depth. The, some seed is sown on rocky ground where there's not much soil, and immediately it springs up, and because there's no depth, the sun scorches it. Jesus describes this in verses 16 to 17 as those who receive the word of God with great joy, but they have no root, and when trials and tribulation and persecution come, they fall away. Now, this may sound odd, but this obstacle is misappropriated spiritual enthusiasm. Misappropriated zeal. One of my favorite toys growing up, and one of the greatest inventions for a toy, I think, is, is the invention of Play-Doh. And, and Play-Doh is awesome. I love Play-Doh. I mean, you, can, you use Play-Doh to, to make shapes, to create, to build. It, it lets you dream and imagine, right? I love Play-Doh. But we can be tempted to have a Plato Jesus, to shape and create and to imagine Jesus to be who we want him to be rather than who he reveals himself to be. We can imagine a Jesus who wants to meet my every need when I want and take away all my difficulty when I want. And that Plato Jesus sounds great. So we get excited about following him. But when needs go unmet or difficulties arise and the real Jesus is standing there saying, I'm here, I have not left you, we are tempted to pursue other things to meet the needs that we have and to take away our difficulties. There should be enthusiasm and zeal for Jesus. But what often happens is that we can make a Jesus in our image, a Jesus that we want, that we like, and when that Jesus doesn't meet my need, we fade away from trusting him. I'm 38 years old and been in vocational ministry for 17 years and I can recount story after story after story of people getting excited about Jesus Christ and the gospel, maybe even getting baptized in a church and then months or years down the road they fade away and they're no longer interested in Christ. It happens all the time. And let me say something, if that's you and you're just now coming back around the church, and you're checking out the real Jesus, I'm so glad you're here, and I want to tell you that the real Jesus is so much better than any Jesus we can imagine or create in our own minds. So I'm glad you're here. Here's the last obstacle that we see. Worldly desires. Verse 7, it says, other seed fell among thorns, and it grew, but it got choked out. Jesus describes what that means in verse 19. He says, these are those who hear about Jesus, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, enter and choke out the gospel. We live in a world that exalts power and money and sex, just to name a few things. And power, money, and sex are appealing. And if you say they're not, I don't know if you're breathing. They are appealing. They can lure us away from Jesus. Charles Spurgeon wrote 150 years ago, and he said this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. He continues, Put your finger on any prosperous page in the church's history, and I will find a little marginal reading that says thus, In this age men could readily see where the church began and where the world ended. Never were there good times when the church and the world were joined in marriage. A great obstacle to Jesus is a love of the world, the things of the world. And when I say world, I mean the fallen, broken world, the upside-down reality we're tempted to live in, the, the exaltation of riches, sex, power, fame. That's what I'm talking about. Our oldest son, Henry, is... Uh, getting to the age now where I can wrestle with him. And, and I love wrestle, wrestling with him. And I'll joke with him. I'll say, but I'm going to put you in the sleeper, which is if you, for those of you who didn't grow up watching WWF like I did, let me, let me tell you about the sleeper. The sleeper is when you come up behind somebody and you wrap them around and you begin to choke out the air, right? And all of a sudden they just kind of, they go to sleep, right? So I joke with him, buddy, I'm going to, I want to put you in the sleeper. The broken, fallen world that exalts sex, money, power, fame, wants to come up from behind us when we don't see, lure us in, choke us out, and put us to sleep, to the purposes and the person of Jesus. These are the obstacles that we find here to the Word of God and to Jesus. The last thing I want us to see in this parable is fruit. I just see not just the obstacles, but fruit and that the seed planted deep bears fruit. The sower of the seed, if reading the parable of this stuck out to you, doesn't try to determine the soil before sowing the seed. The farmer sows the seed everywhere, right? So just a, let me just throw out a side note here. Neither should we, church. We don't know what God is going to do with His Word. We don't know in whom God will unleash His power so we can and should unashamedly sow Jesus everywhere and to every person. The seed is scattered everywhere, soil to soil, and the soil that bears fruit is the soil in which the seed goes deep. See, the problem with the other soils is not that the birds come or or that it's rocky and the sun rises upon it or that the thorns grow. The problem is that the seed's not deep enough that the seed's not deep enough in the soil to withstand these obstacles. Seed being planted deep is the person who hears the Word of God and bears fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. You realize one seed planted deep produces one large oak tree. And that one large oak tree will have hundreds of acorn seeds that fall to the ground, some of which will go deep and grow more oak trees and on and on and on a forest starts with one seed but that seed must go deep so let me ask you what are you doing to ensure that god's word this gospel story of jesus goes deep into you somewhere along the way i can't remember who taught me about the five finger grip on god's word i think i maybe have shared this before the five finger grip Five things that God's Word tells us to do with His Word. The first is to read it. We read the Bible, right? We read it. Maybe you have a plan to read through the Bible in a year. Maybe maybe you want to read the Old Testament in a year. You want to read the Old Testament and New Testament twice in a year. There are many tools that will teach you and lead you how to read the Bible, but that's one. The second thing the Bible tells us to do with the Bible is to meditate upon it. Meditation is prayerful, slow, reading, and pondering God's Word. It's different than just reading through it. The third thing is to study it, to study God's Word. Now, maybe that's you're picking a book of the Bible, like Galatians. and go, for the next month, I'm just going to get into this book. I'm going to understand who's who's writing it, the author, who's who's he writing to, the the audience, and and try to apply it to my life for one month. You're going to study in-depth one book. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is to listen, which is what you're doing right now. You're listening to a sermon. You're listening to the preaching of God's word. The fifth thing the Bible tells us to do with the Bible is to memorize, to memorize it, to commit to memory verses and passages, to be able to have a firm grip on the scriptures, to plant it deep within us. These five things are given to us. Let me me ask parents, Parents, what are you doing to make sure that God's word is being planted deep in your child? You know, there's no greater privilege than praying and asking God to raise your child to be an oak of righteousness planted in the word of God. Do you realize that your one child may become a renowned doctor who heals thousands, or your one child may create the next great nonprofit. Or your one child may be used to lead another person to trust Jesus, and then that person becomes the next great apologist or evangelist. We have the opportunity to plant God's seed, His Word, deep into our children. And just as one seed can produce a forest, God can use your one child to bring His life into the world. God can use you to bring His life into the world. The analogy of the kingdom being like, farming is great. It's good and it's so good for me because I am quick to be efficient and productive and moving all the time, but farming takes time. Farming takes patience, nurture, care for that which is planted. God's kingdom doesn't come with, with a big bang. It comes slowly and faithfully over time. I have to confess that sometimes I just want people to get Jesus, like get it, They like, all of a sudden, boom. Sometimes I get frustrated in my own life and I want to be like Jesus now, but that's not the Christian life. The kingdom of God comes in patiently cultivating and nurturing Jesus and his word deep into our hearts and our beliefs. So as much as we want to see Christ Central Church grow and move out into this city and grow in width, the ability to do so faithfully for a long period of time in the city of Durham and around the world will happen because God's word is planted deep within us. And as it's planted deep, we then will be willing to go and die for this kingdom, to give our lives in service for Jesus, to bear forth fruit, and it will spring into all the world. But we won't give up our life until we hear the music of this gospel story, until we hear the voice of our Savior, we won't. And so let me remind you of this music, a big piece of the gospel story that I, I think many of us forget, maybe you doubt, and or you've missed in the presentation of the gospel to you before. And it comes from a storyteller named Garrison Keeler, who, uh, who I love, who tells the story of a, of a girl named Lydia who grew up in a fictional town, that he he called Lake Wobegon. And Lydia was tired of a narrow conservative community in Lake Wobegon, and so Lydia decides to leave and move to New Orleans, where she is going to give herself to the fanfare of New Orleans, a city that never sleeps, the city that drinks and parties, and she longed to be valuable and find her place in New Orleans. So she arrives in New Orleans, and Lydia gets a boyfriend, and they live together, and she gets a job bartending at a local bar, and her boyfriend, he just lays on the couch all, all day long. Lydia finally gets tired of her life in New Orleans, and she realizes that this life she longed for doesn't, isn't really all that it was cracked up to be. It's not panning out. And so while her boyfriend was asleep, she put a note in a bottle, placed it on the top of the TV, and she left, saying she was returning to Lake Wobegon. And so she did, but she didn't live with her parents. So everybody in Lake Wobegon knows who Lydia is. She's the girl that went to New Orleans. She was the girl that left to live in her wild ways. And everybody whispers about Lydia. So Lydia goes to her parents' house for Thanksgiving. And there's a large crowd gathered. And again, she is feeling very insecure about being at her parents' house. And she makes her way out of the crowd to find some solitude in the living room. And she begins to look on her parents' mantle the knickknacks that her parents have on on her mantle and then all of a sudden she sees a picture of herself at her high school graduation on her parents mantle and then she sees the strangest thing at the bottom of the picture a label glued to the picture that was typed out on her father's typewriter that said r lydia r lydia and instantly she knew what it meant That label placed by her father and her mother declared before the world, declared before Lake Wobegon, and against all the whispers that this is our Lydia. And it meant so much, the three letters, three jewels, each a diamond, to say our. Our Lydia is treasured. She belongs to us. The gospel story is God's love in His Son who lived, died, and rose so that we could be in our Father's house. And so would you see your picture on His mantle and underneath your picture that you belong to Him, that you are God's treasure? The story of Jesus, the Word of God who became flesh, lived among us, a perfect life among us, gave up his life unto death, planted six feet in the ground. Three days later, he would rise again unto life so that his recreative power, his resurrection power, could be unleashed on us and to the world. Would you listen and would you hear? Let's pray. God, I pray for us this morning. For all of us, no matter where we are, that you would till the ground of our hearts, you would plant your word, your gospel, Jesus, of of grace and love that we could fully never fully imagine, fully comprehend. Would you plant it deep? Would you plant it deep? And would this small church and the world bear fruit? The lives in this church bear fruit because you, Jesus, are deep within us and we're hearing the music of the gospel, willing to give our lives away because of what you've done for us. Pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.